Appreciate it, appreciate it. That's what we're going to be looking at tonight. We, I'm going to do a brief review of last week where we were at, pick back up in the book of Leviticus where we were looking at the seven feasts of Israel. But we've been talking for some time now about, about the first battle of Gog and Magog in, in the book of Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. I told you last week at the beginning of our lesson why I believe and I give you, I don't know, four, five, six reasons that I believe the Word of God would teach that the, the battle of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38 and 39 is different than the battle of Gog and Magog in the book of Revelation chapter 20 for several reasons that I'm not going uh, to go over again. If you want them sometime, text me and I'll give them to you or email them to you or whatever. But um, I think it's pretty obvious as we read through the Word of God and see who is involved in these two different wars, the timing of the two different wars, the purpose of those two different wars that you'll see, that they are two different wars. So we, we, one of the things that we've come up to in our study of this war of uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39 is the timing of it. When will it take place? If you remember a couple of weeks ago, I read to you or made reference to some people think that it will happen um, uh, before, before the rapture uh, and before the tribulation. Other people believe it will happen in the middle of the tribulation. Others believe it will happen at the end of the tribulation. So there's a lot of different opinions. So over the years, me studying prophecy, loving it and looking at it, I believe with all of my heart God has given something to me. I've never seen it in anybody else's writing, and even after I began to give this to you all, knew where I was going, I started researching this and came across a few people that has that similar idea that it will be a period of 10 years, okay? So uh, we're going to look at that. We're going to see whether I'm right or wrong. I'm not selling any books. <laughs> I'm not making any money on this. I'm just trying to feed my flock, just trying to rightly divide the Word of God, just trying to glorify God. That's all I'm trying to do in this. And there is an answer to all of these questions. I happen to believe that the Ezekiel 38-39 war will take place after the church is gone, and we ought to say glory hallelujah about that, but before, but before the tribulation. And I'm going to show you that I believe between the rapture and the end of the tribulation, there is a period of at least no less than 10 years. And I'll show you why. So here in the book of Ezekiel, I'm going to show you what the Word of God says about why we, we are concerned about a certain period of time. And then in the book of Leviticus, that's where we'll go and then look at our study and we'll go to several different places in the Word of God. So I'm going to pick it up reading in, um, in uh, verse, oh, I don't know. I'm going to pick it up in verse 7, so maybe that'll help the flow. So Ezekiel said, 39 of the book of Ezekiel, chapter 39, verse 7. He said, So will I make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them pollute my holy name anymore, and the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Now, if you remember last week, I told you that at least, if I remember correctly, 12 times in these two chapters, God sets forth the purpose behind this war 
And one of them is so that he'll be exalted, so that Israel will recognize them, and so that the heathen roundabout will do too. Now that's not going to happen in the second Ezekiel or Magog, Gog and Magog war in the book of the Revelation. When that war is fought, it is ended by fire coming down from God out of heaven and death immediate, okay, on those that come against. For those that are saved, we're going to heaven. For those that are unsaved, they're going to be consumed and they're going to be standing next before God or before Christ, who is God, at the great white throne judgment. Does that make sense? That's what the Word of God teaches. That's why it makes sense. So he goes on to say, So behold, it is come and it is done, saith the Lord. This is the day where I have spoken. And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows and the hand staves and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire. Here it is, seven years. So that they shall take no wood out of the field, neither cut down any of the force, for they shall burn the weapons with fire. They shall spoil those that spoil them and rob those that rob them, saith the Lord God. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place there of graves in the land of Israel of the passengers on the east of the sea, meaning the east of the sea of uh, the Mediterranean Sea, and it shall stop the noses of the passengers, and they shall, and there shall they bury Gog and all his multitude, and they shall call it the Valley of Hamongog, or the Valley of the Multitude. And seven months shall the house of Israel be burying of them that they may cleanse the land. Why do they need to cleanse the land? By burying all those bones. Who's coming? Jesus is coming. The king is coming, so they got to clear the land. They won't need to do that over in the Gog Magog War of Revelation 20. All right, there's nothing about that. Now, I wish I had more light and insight as we go to Leviticus chapter 23 on these weapons, those weapons that they will burn for seven years. I'll be honest, I don't understand that, not enough to even talk about it, but I know someone that comes. I serve him. And he's my Lord. So I'm going to trust in him and what I don't know. When the light on that is needed, guess what? We'll get it. I believe that with all of my heart. So here in Leviticus 23, if you remember, and I'm not going to take long to repeat myself, there are seven feasts of Israel that are listed here. I told you several times, I'm going to tell you again, these feasts are practical that the nation of Israel celebrated them. All but one of these feasts were feasts of joy. They celebrated, they, they, they laughed, they had merriment, they had a great time. And the Day of Atonement was different than that because they were to mourn. It was a time that they were to mourn and repent over the sins of the former year that they had committed against God and against their neighbors. And it's that period of time that we're going to deal with in, in just a few minutes of time. But these feasts were not only practical for the nation of Israel that practiced them, but those seven feasts were also a, a prophetic calendar of the work that God was going to do through His Son, Jesus Christ, in bringing salvation both to the Jew and the Gentile. Now, if you remember last week, I spent quite a little bit of time on the, on the Feast of Pentecost. 
and the two loaves. Who were the two loaves in the Feast of Pentecost? Anybody? Jew and Gentile coming together, making up a new body, becoming one in Christ. And what did those two loaves have, have in it? Leaven, which is a picture of evil or sin or false doctrine. And what did we decide, because those loaves were baking in an oven, what did we decide the fire did to that leaven? Yeah, it destroyed it. Now, Jesus went through the fire of God's judgment to take care of the sin in my life and yours. If you understand that, say amen. So everything's good. He didn't save us because he knew we'd be perfect. He just gave us a perfect salvation knowing that we're imperfect. Now listen, what we went back, what I'm going to go back to way back several weeks ago in the book of Romans, he not only died for our sins, but he ever liveth to make sure we'll live with him. You remember that in the book of Romans chapter 5 verse 10, I believe? Some of y'all forgotten it. I'm going to turn over and read it. Stay where you're at. I'll read it real quick and come back here. He said in verse 10, For if or since when we were enemies to Christ, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Can anybody else remember the two words that comes next? Much more. Y'all remember that? Much more being reconciled. See, I'm, I'm happy already. We shall be saved by his life. Now, the life that we live is important. If everybody agrees, that's say amen. It is extremely important. But I'll tell you what, his life is more important than mine. But he gave his life to me. I'm in him, and he's in me. And if you've ever heard in your life that when he sees me, he sees the son, that's true. He sees me and you, not just as if we had never sinned, he sees us as if we had never been a sinner because he sees Christ in us and us in Christ. Because guess what? Has Christ sinned? No. Are y'all happy? Buddy, I am. I'm telling. I come from the house happy, by the way. So these seven feasts, they were celebrated at a particular time in the year. There were four springtime feasts, or feasts that took place in the spring. The first one started with Passover. It took place in either the month of, of end of March or early April, which began their new spiritual year. They had two new years. They had a spiritual year and a civil year. I'll tell you when that began, uh, began in just a minute. Immediately following the Feast of Passover, you had the um, feast of unleavened bread, and then three days later, you had the feast of the wave offering. The first fruits is what it was, it's what it's called. Fifty days after that wave offering was given, on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, it is not the Sabbath. The Sabbath was Saturday. The Sabbath still is the Saturday. There's no such thing as a Christian Sabbath. Everybody heard me say that? Say amen. Now, I grew up being told that. That's one of the things I was told. You know, we thank God for this Christian Sabbath. Sunday is not a Sabbath. A Sabbath is a day of rest. The Sabbath is an end of thing. The first day of the week is a new beginning. It's a time to celebrate. But anyway, on that day, the Holy Ghost came to indwell people that are saved permanently. He never leaves us according to what the Word of God says. He goes with us. Now, a period of time 
came between the first four of those seven feasts and the last three. That period of time goes from early part of April to the last part of September, the first part of October. How many months is that? Five months? Somebody really quick that's good in math. How many? Seven months? Five months? Thank you, Mark. All right, it's an undetermined period of time. But if it is five months, we're living in the eight. Boy, that's good. I never thought about that, never heard that either. We're living in the age of grace, right? We preach the gospel of the grace of God. It is the church age, and that's what that period of time typifies or pictures, is a time when God is taking out from the Gentile a bride for his Christ. You know who that is, don't you? That's us. See, that's shouting ground too. Acts chapter 15, if you want to look that up. Then the next feast that comes in the order of seven, which is the beginning of the last three, is the Feast of the Trumpets. And there's where we're going to start. It happens on the first day of, of the seventh month. That would be... That would be the last part of September or October, depending on the calendar from year to year. It is the Feast of Trumpets, which, now listen to this now. See, this is where it starts getting real good to me, and it's already been good. Ten days later, the Feast or the Day of Atonement is celebrated. After that, and I think it's five days, I'll have to read here, then comes the, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, which was designed, which was designed to remind the children of Israel how God delivered them out of Egypt and how that for 40 years they dwelt in tents. But it goes beyond that when it's fulfilled. When that thing is fulfilled like the Feast of Pentecost was on the day of Pentecost, uh, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, meaning it was filled to the full, that's when God is going to dwell among his people. He's going to be their God, and they're going to be his people. It's going to be a time, is it not? So, questions, comments, clear? Need, need to clarify anything? Are we good? I'll never forget when I learned that, you know what? If God has, God has allowed the nation of Israel, and he uh, guided all of this, he was governor over it, if you will, for those feasts to be fulfilled in the very times of years they celebrated, why wouldn't he do the same with the last three? I mean, I think God set down a precedence, don't you? I believe God said, now look, I want you to get this. Hey, listen, this is not a sealed book. What's the word revelation mean, anybody? An unveiling. It, it's not a sealed book. He wants us to know. So let's pick up reading. Let's pick up reading here in, um, in verse 23 of chapter 23 of the book of Leviticus. And we're going to just read through these really quickly, these last three feasts. We've got time, Lord willing, I'll be back here next week. But what are we looking for as the church? We're not looking for signs. Let me, let me rephrase that. We're not looking for signs, but what are we listening for? Why? Because when the trump sounds, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And Paul said, we which remain shall be changed in a moment of a twinkling of an eye. 
Man, that's exciting. I'm living in hopes of that. Do you hear me? I'll be gravely disappointed if I don't go in the rapture. If I'm not here, somebody stand up at my funeral and it's going to be here. The choir's going to sing, all right? Y'all going to start singing about at least 20 minutes before the service starts, so come early. Come ready to be blessed. Don't mourn my passing. Some of you ought to be real happy. I know a, I know a couple of people that belong here will be, by the way. And that's okay. I'll be happier than they will, bless his name. All right? We're going to sing, and somebody's going to preach. I told him, I told Debbie to make sure, and the kids, you tell them to just preach it out. Don't want one of these little sob stories. Pre- now, I want y'all to miss me. I'm going to be highly ticked off if nobody cries, John. Do you hear me? So, Kim, if he's here, nobody else will cry and pinch him for me, will you? And pinch him hard. So, I'm going to have a time, but I, somebody tell him he said he was surprised. Now, I don't know when the rapture is going to take place. I just know it's coming. Just meant, yes, ma'am. <laughs> I've already got it recorded, Mom, you hear? So you think I'll go before you do? It's possible, you hear me? She, she's worried that I won't get a sing out at her funeral. We'll work it out, Mom, I guarantee you, you hear me? I think, men, you'll go in rapture. I sure do. And can I tell y'all something, something I've worried about as a kid? I, I, I didn't mind thinking about going in the rapture. I just thought, if I'm going to be caught up with a bunch of people I won't know, I'll be scared to death. Now, you know how a kid thinks. But can I tell you what? We're going to be gathered to our people. We're going to be in our, with our families and with the groups we know. Isn't that comforting? Doesn't that make you just go, yeah, or that, Greg. I like that one even better. So, yes, Miss Gail. Yeah, that's where we're going. Yeah, Gail asked if, if the Feast of the Trumpets happened this last part of September, early October, which it does, depending on the year. Uh, won't that be the time of the rapture? And it will. That's what it's associated with. So let's read it. And, and uh, any question may not be able to answer, but ask. Verse 23, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, speaking to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall you have a Sabbath, a memorial, a blowing of trumpets, and holy convocation. Notice trumpets, plural. Ye shall do no servile work therein, but ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Now here's where to me it gets real exciting, although the trumpets is exciting too. And on the tenth day of the seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be an holy convocation unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls, an offering an offering made by fire unto the Lord. You shall do no work in the same day, for it is a day of atonement, to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whatsoever so it be that shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. And whatsoever so it be that doeth any work in that same day, the same soul will I destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work, it shall be a statute 
forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest. You shall afflict your souls in the ninth day of the month, that evening, for from even unto even shall you celebrate your Sabbath. And I'll just begin the first part of the Feast of Atonement of the priests. Uh, and the Lord said unto Moses, saying, verse 34, speaking to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the, this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. Now, seven days uh, speaks of completeness. Amen? And that speaks of the time of the millennial. That not, it's not limited to seven days, seven years. It's just talking about a complete time. The complete time will be a thousand years when Jesus Christ himself on planet earth rules over, a, over the kingdom of heaven on planet earth. He'll do it with righteousness and it'll be a glorious time. Miss Linda. Yeah, I do. Anybody want to share with us what the word atonement means? It means a covering. Anybody remember the Hebrew word? Kafar. K-A-P-H-A-R. That's what, that's what Noah put on the inside and the outside of the ark. He covered it with pitch or kafar. Isn't that wonderful? Hey, listen, that, that mark was, was covered in the blood. That's exactly what it's a picture of. And so with me, why, why is it a covering? Why is an atonement called a covering? It did take care of their sins for how long? For a year. But why was it a covering? No, it didn't seal. It did give you protection, but there's something more to it. What it did, it just covered it for the year, which sealed it, gave you protection until the next year. It just simply rolled it forward. The, 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 the blood of bulls and goats were unable to cleanse a man's conscience. Are y'all with me? I mean, I mean, they were forgiven as far as that goes, but they were not totally ever forgiven until Christ came to Calvary. And I'm going to go ahead and get a verse that's real good. And in that day, there will be a house or, or a fountain open in the house of David. It was open to Calvary, but it's going to be opened again for the nation of Israel someday. Y'all didn't get that, but I do. So, we'll get there. I'll show it to you. That's exciting, folks. And what does the blood of Jesus Christ do away? What can wash away my sin? That's right. See, he cleanses us from it. Theirs was rolled forward, rolled forward year after year after year to Calvary. And when Calvary came and the soldier pierced his side and forthwith come blood and water. It washed all of that away. Glory, hallelujah. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? So, other questions? All right, now, we, we're just going to kind of be able to dip our toes in the water, the seating. That's what we're doing. But there's nothing wrong with that. Y'all ever thought about giving a, a whole lot of thought about, and, I, and, and look, I've told you this before, need to tell you again. I don't care what I teach you all. There's always more to the things that I teach. Y'all understand that, don't you? I mean, I mean, there are other preachers and teachers that can take this deeper and wider and higher and broader than I ever imagined. But when we come to the Feast of the Trumpets, 
There, there, there is an obvious, I think, connection. Let's go. Get your fingers to work. First Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter, chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. You all know this to be the, uh, the, the, um, uh, the chapter on resurrection. But in this chapter, I'll tell you what, I'm going to preach this sometime, and I'm going to give you my outline. We've got the gospel defined, the resurrection declared, and the rapture described. So I want us to look in um, chapter 15, beginning at verse 51. Verse 51. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. He said, Paul did to the Corinthians, Behold, I show you a mystery. What is a mystery? Somebody define a mystery. And I'm not talking about like Jessica on, on what is it murder she wrote. That's not the... Jessica Fletcher. What? What's a mystery? It is. Add another word to it. Divine. Yeah. Divine secret. It is a divine secret. Now, listen. It is something that is known by God but unknown by man. Until God reveals it to man. And once God reveals it to man, it's no longer a mystery. It's known to us. So at the time Paul was writing this, and Paul, if you remember, said, I'll come. Uh, you know, it's doubtless that I'll come to Revelations. Look, everybody listen right now. I'm going to give you something real important. Everybody look up here and listen to me. There are no Revelations today. Everybody heard me say that. Say Amen. Okay. Now you and your people say, I got a revelation from the Lord. No, you didn't. You may have got some type of illumination on something that's already revealed, but you don't get any more revelation, dear friend. If you're going, if you're going, to, be, if you're going to be biblically sound, I'm telling you true. Now, a lot of people don't like to hear that, but that's okay. That's my, my job is not to make them happy. It's to help make them holy. There is, there is no new revelation. That stopped. Listen, that stopped with the Revelation. When John laid down his pen, man, that was it. Okay? We have illumination. Our mind is illuminated to the revelation time and time again. And I know that's being picky, but when a lot of people take that and try to establish a doctrine or, you know, give them a quote uh, higher up than you position that's not real in the church, because they say, well, I get revelation to prophecy and all that. That's, that's just not biblical, folks. That's not rightly divided. I'm not sure y'all like that, but I did. I'm feeling so good it doesn't bother me. Hi, Judy. Again, there's no new revelation, so what we need is more illumination. I'll grant you that. I'll say amen. Exactly. Hey, listen, when, when we get to uh, Daniel chapter 11, I'll show y'all a verse that, that it blew my socks off. How many of y'all in here have ever read Daniel chapter 11? Say amen. Okay. There is something in there that I've read that passage time and again that I just learned. It's not, it's not been two years ago. And I think, wow. I mean, it's so obvious. It's amazing. And we're going to get to it. I see you, Wendell. We're going to get to it in this when we get over to Revelation. Well, when we get to Matthew 24, Revelation 12, and find out where in the world is Israel going in the middle of the tribulation or at least the remnant of them. Okay. He has. He's given us everything we need in this book. No, sir. Now, here, here's the deal. He's not given us everything that he could give us. 
We're going to get more of that. We just have in this book everything we need. Everything we need to be saved, everything we need to be Christ-like, everything we need to be holy, everything we need to know we're going to heaven. I'm happy about that, aren't you? Man, I love this old book. I, I love this book. All right, this is what he said. i got to hurry. He said, Behold, I'll show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die. Now, he's not talking about soul sleep. Everybody heard me say that. Say amen. He's talking about the body sleeping. The soul goes to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be. I knew you all knew that. And he said, Our body's going to be changed in a moment of the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we, meaning those of us that are alive, when this happens, shall be changed. He goes on to explain this corruption, meaning those that have died and putrefied and, and, and you, you know what I'm saying, become worm food. Those that, those, those that are corrupt shall receive incorruption. We that are mortal shall receive in, immortality. I like that song, I'll never die, just be promoted to that land beyond the sky. When Jesus comes to get his jewels, I will bid this world goodbye. I'm not going to die. Thank God. When, listen, if I go through the grave, I'll be more alive than I've ever been in my life. Thank God. Amen. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 really quickly, and we're going to have to go. The, listen, the second coming of Christ, the rapture, the snatching away of the, uh, of the church is not a secret anymore. It has been revealed and as we learn it, we become illuminated about it. Listen, the second coming of Christ, we ought to learn about it, not so that we can mark a day on our calendar, but so that it can mark us and challenge us and encourage us to become more Christ-like day after day after day. First Thessalonians 4, or 2nd, I'm excused, 2nd, 1 Thessalonians 4, I was right the first time, forgive me. This is what he said. Pick it up in verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. There's the authority. It's not about Tom Price. When Phyllis Wolf, when I asked her to put um, a, a part of, uh, well, not a part, but a notice in our bulletin that I was going to start a Tuesday night Bible study on what the Bible says about the security of the believer. It doesn't matter what my or your opinion is on this book. Everybody heard me say that, say amen. Now, we'll discuss it. We'll talk about it. But it's about the Word of God. It's about what He said. And this is our authority. For we send you by the Word of the Lord that we, which are alive and remain, under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede those that are asleep or those who have died. Now, look at what Paul said. We. Every generation, every generation from the first generation of Christianity when Paul was alive till this present generation of Christianity ought to be looking for the Lord to come. We ought to be a part of the we generation when we talk about this. How many of you believe he's coming? How many of you think you'll be awake and alive when he does come? I believe I'm looking at the rapture generation. I believe that. I know we could die in a heartbeat, but he goes on. 
For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the what? Listen. And the dead in Christ shall rise. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort you one another with these words. You ought to go home and sleep good tonight because I told you all that. Did I get, did, did you see the trumpet back over there in 1 Corinthians 15 too? Now listen, he called it the last trump. It's not the last trump of the Bible. The last trump of the Bible is over in the Revelation. There's even going to be seven trumpet judgments. Y'all do know that. But when it comes to this, what we're talking about, it comes to the church on planet Earth. Now, I'm going to give you two things that we've got to go. What are trumpets used for? Anybody really quick. Announcement, that's a good one. What else? A gathering. I like that one. What else? A proclamation that would go with an announcement. A what? A warning. I like that. It will do that. I'll guarantee you that. Look, all of those things are good. I just want to lift up two. Number one, it is for a gathering. Now, let me give you this and... I want to quit, but I'm just about ready to. In the days of Rome, when Paul was living and this book was being written, there was, there was a trump, a trumpet that was sounded called the classicum. A classicum. Anybody ever hear of it? Anybody know what it is? See, that's, that's what I'm supposed to do, teach you and lead you. It is called the emperor's trumpet. Are you all getting this without me telling you? You know who it was sounded for? The emperor or the king when he come. Hey, listen, friend, one of these days we're going to hear a toot and I'm going to scoot. That's just what David Cook said. I'm gonna, he said, when I hear the toot, I'm going to scoot. And you know what? It's going to tell us that the king has come. So here's the two things I want to leave you with. A trumpet was sounded for a gathering. Sometimes it was sounded, you'll like this one too, when a soldier had reached the end of his battle, it was sounded to let him know that they were to go home. And another one was for warning. There's judgment. So I believe the two trumpets. This is my opinion. There's a lot of choices. You decide as you study and you read. One of the best books that you can read is written by Renald Showers on Maranatha, The Lord Cometh. It's great. He's got a great addendum to that book on the trumpets. The best I've ever read. He's done gone to be with the Lord. But the second one, the first one is this. I believe the first trumpet is going to be to call us home. Gabriel doesn't have a trumpet. Everybody heard me say that? Say amen. Okay? I mean, it makes for good singing, but it's bad theology. Jesus, with the voice of an archangel and the trump of God... We can go to the book of Revelation and show you this. His voice is going to sound like a trumpet. And we will be called to him. There's the gathering. But the second trumpet, I believe, is for warning. Because after the church is gone, what's going to happen on planet Earth? The tribulation. Judgment. Are you all with me? Okay. 